not in Kansas anymore. You have my curiosity. Are you telling me you built a time machine? The force will be with you. Welcome to Get Real, the podcast where we get real about our favorite pop culture, films, and TV shows. I'm Sam, and with me, as always, is my co-host Chris. Hello, and this is normally where I make a witty remark, but we're talking about 1917, and there's nothing witty to say about war. No, especially Great Wars. Nope, the nothing. first Great War, the greatest not, wars. Not it the, feels weird calling it a Great War, doesn't it? Like, yeah, it's like it's... I'm not it's, proud of it. No, it's not the Great War, it's the... the yeah, it's not good. It's not great. No, no, it wasn't great. It wasn't a great time for anybody involved. Yeah, so this week we're talking about 1917, the infamous Sam Mendes film that came out and has um, snooped quite a lot at the Golden Globes, Oscars yes. and everything. If you haven't heard of this film, it, it's everywhere, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, infamously shot as one big shot. Yeah, one so take. This week we're going to be covering about that. Um, as always, we talk a little bit about news and then we're going to talk about the film spoiler free. And then we're going to get into some spoilery bits if you wanted to go in dark with yeah. the film. Um, but as always, everything is always um, time stamped below in the description. So I love the way you even point for below every time you say below, even though nobody can see us. Yeah, it's all the hidden cameras in here that can see <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> just in case Rush is watching through the window. Yeah, I'm pointing at just uh, at the floor. It's down there. <laughs> yeah, it's down Rip on up the, the carpet. There's yeah. your time stamps. Okay, so do you want to start with some news then? Do you want to start off with the first one? Yeah, so um, first bit of news is Nicholas Holt has been cast in Mission Impossible mm. um, as a villain, Ooh. which is an interesting choice. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything but the sweetheart darling role. Like, he played Beast. Yeah, that's where so I know him Soft-hearted from. Beast he was in, about a boy he was in. And again, he was in Skins. He wasn't a great fella in Skins, mm. I guess. Mm. I reckon he's going to be more like a like a Riddler kind of bad guy, you know, or someone who's probably a bit more crafty. Maybe a bit like Rami Malek that we're yeah. going to get, probably, um, in No yeah. Time to Die. Yeah, yeah, probably something like that. Maybe a bit more sort of like in the shadows, like, you know, the the guy in the Mission Impossible films with the... He, he used to wear glasses until he keeps getting captured and the snot being out of him, and then he had the beard in Fallout that mm, they were trying to transport. Mm, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Yeah, because you had Henry Cavill was more like the 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 butch yeah. villain, villain yeah. wasn't he? So he was more but like the henchman. The f- yeah, and then you had him. I've only watched Fallout and one well, years Henry and Cavill years was ago, actually so. like the mastermind, is what you find out. Whoa. Yeah, that but the other guys twist. like been the villain in the trilogy. Yeah. yeah, so maybe it kind of switches places with him. And no, anyway, Absolutely. he's he's a he's a good actor. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, great. Next bit of news is Christian Bale has been casted in Thor for Love and Thunder. Rumours are that he's playing Cull, the god of fear, which is Thor's uncle. That would be pretty cool. I also saw people saying maybe Mephisto. Mm, yeah, a lot of people um, are saying that as well. That's the Marvel version of the devil, essentially. Mm, also, Nightcrawler's dad. Yeah, it's cool he's getting a part which is a bit more out there rather than just playing like a like a standard human character, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? At least he's getting some something actually, interesting. Might not be... I don't think that is Nightcrawler's dad. Actually, I think they changed it a couple of times. Mm. But, yeah, it's good Christian to get Christian Bale, Bale in, great. isn't it? It's like we had Kate Blanchett. Like, I feel like she she didn't quite get enough screen time mm. as much as I wanted in Thor 3, Ragnarok. And if not you... Thor the 4. Uh, 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 four. <laughs> the 4. 4. 4. Four, four, God and Thunder. That's that's a hard title. <laughs> Love and Thunder. That's the one. Thor, 
Thor. 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 Or just call it Thor. Just call it Love and Thunder. Thor. Love and Thunder. <laughs> I can't even say Thunder anymore. Have you seen Vice with Christian Bale in it? No, not yet. I think this is going to be really good because he, every, well, every time he has a role, like in like in Vice mm. or like in The Big Short, he always like fully. He's like a different person. Yeah, every, he, he proper like modifies his body. Like yeah. like he does like when he did the mechanic, wasn't it? Yeah, he, like lost all the weight and then he played Batman and gained all the weight. Yeah, uh, in yeah. muscle mass and then for Vice, like he got chubby, didn't he? He did yeah. the same for American Hustle. Yeah, he did the same thing in that. Yeah. So he could probably go all in yeah. on that. Chameleon actor, as they call him. Okay, next one. The Morbius trailer has finally dropped. Mm. We spoke about it on our Instagram. What did you think of the trailer? I agree what you said to me. It's very much like Venom. Yeah. Uh, Giving I, me strong Venom vibes. Yeah. It's Sam... What's Who's the who's the villain? Is it... Uh, Matt Smith. Matt Smith, sorry. I don't know yeah. where I got Sam from. Sam Smith. <laughs> Sam Smith, Sam Smith <laughs> singing, singing to Jared Leto. Yeah, that was yeah. Um, Skyfall, wasn't it? No, yeah, no, it was no. the one after Skyfall. Spectre, Spectre. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know who. I, I don't know the Morbius arc or anything. I know he's a Spider-Man villain, but is he a bit of an anti-hero at the same time? Um, to begin with, he wasn't, but he has become more of an anti-hero throughout the years. Mm. So basically, like it shows in the trailer, it's. This guy who's got a rare blood disease and stuff like that, which in the comic book gives him sort of like the deformed appearance, like with the upturned nose and the ears and stuff, makes him look a bit more beastly. And then he undergoes, like, he tries to create some sort of cure to heal himself, which ends up turning him into a scientific-like vampire, which is how it looks like in the film he's going to, through the blood transfusions and stuff like that, become more of the hideous monster that we know him as. So he also does he also get like magical abilities as well because you see him with that orb in his hand. Yeah, he can and teleport and stuff teleport. like this. That, that's, that's very night. Is it nightcrawler? Yeah, nightcrawler yeah. style, yeah. isn't it? That, when he's breaking into the White House. Yeah, next yeah. I got proper proper vibes from that in the yeah. trailer. I've not read him in that many comic books. To be fair, like I've read a lot of Spider Man, but never really much Morbius. I've never seen him teleport, but the other stuff like echolocation and stuff like that, and sometimes. Uh, not telekinesis, but telepathy and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, those effects look really cool in the trailer. Yeah. So, yeah, it looks pretty cool. My only problem is I just don't think... I think the story's just going to fall a little bit flat. It looks like they're pulling very heavily from his actual origin in the comic books and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just... I think it's mainly just going to be a a Morbius origin film to set him up for the Sinister Six because you get that Michael Keaton vulture who we're assuming is the vulture, right? Well, he's he's wearing the same clothes that we last saw him in in the Homecoming post credit Mm -hmm. scene where he meets up with Lizard in the prison. He's wearing the white overalls with the grey t-shirt and that's how we see him in the trailer. Which is what we're assuming is setting up that Tom Holland's Spider-Man is part of the same universe yeah. as what we get in yeah, for Venom trying to and pull in the Sony films into the MCU a bit more. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. Yeah. This could also be how we're going to get Blade in as well. Yeah, because so Ma- is it Mashallah or Ali's been... Yeah, Mahershala cast- Ali. Yeah. yeah. He's been cast as Blade. I think it's 2022, the predicting a Blade film, I believe. But in the comic book, so Blade is just a vampire hunter until he gets bitten by Morbius. Mm. But because Morbius isn't like a true vampire, he's like a scientific one. 
he gets a bite from him, which means that he gets all the powers of a vampire, but isn't a vampire. That's why Blade's able to go out in sunlight. So just to get this right, because in the trailer, he cuts his hand and holds it in front of that cave, and all the bats fly out, right? Yeah, he puts it against, is like, that the not him things. becoming a vampire, or is the vampire thing from his condition? Um no, he create he tries to cure his condition, so he transfuses his blood mixed with the vampire bat and stuff like that. Oh, okay. And that's how it happens. I think so it's, it's not a natural thing where that happens. No. So maybe that is because he Yeah, I think when he cuts his hand and he puts it on like the cables, maybe it's like some like electronic thing mm. and it's like amplifying the blood maybe to get the bats out. Mm. Or but it goes like those cables go all across like the front of the cave, so maybe he's like trying to catch them or electrocute them or something to get some living samples maybe maybe because he says what he has to do isn't illegal so maybe it's like protected like endangered creature type thing and he's after to capture a load and kill them to try and get the blood maybe mm. and then a couple of little easter eggs from this as well is there's that mm. poster of spider-man in the background yeah but it's not the tom holland one it's a poster from spider-man one or two in it the yeah sam so raimi it's ones. the sam raimi costume yeah. where it's actually one of the the Tobey Maguire costume from the PS4 game. It's a screenshot of the loading screen of that. Uh, okay. But the more important thing is, it's got murderer written across it, which at the end of Far From Home, obviously, yeah. J. Jonah Jameson, yeah. who has apparently on IMDb might be appearing in Morbius, he outs Peter Parker and says that he's murderer. So mm-hmm. maybe it's something to do with that. It's weird how it's a different suit. Maybe that's just the street art like rendition of the costume, maybe. Yeah. And then a little fun fact is a lot of that's all filmed in Manchester. It is. Those street scenes. Yeah, right at the back of my head office. The subway scenes and stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. It's all our, our city. Woo! <laughs> and then as another thing as well from the Morbius trailer, the shot we get of him full vampire. Yes. What do you think about how that? I think that, that it's straight out the comic cool. book. It's straight out yeah. of the comic book panel, isn't it? Yeah, so. pretty much. Yeah, and I think there is a version of Morbius like later on where he's able to turn between the two versions. Like he looks more normal and then he looks more vampire. Mm. So I reckon that's going to be the version that we get, so that Jared Leto doesn't need to wear prosthetics all the time. So how do you feel about it then? Positive that it looks like it's staying true to the character, and it seems to be getting a lot of things right. We haven't really seen a villain in this film yet. It's going to be Matt Lucas's Matt, Matt Lucas, Smith. not Matt Lucas. That'd be weird <laughs> casting, wouldn't it? Matt Smith is playing um, another guy that has the same blood condition that turns like fully evil in the comic books. Oh, I've, this is what I don't want from the film, though. I don't, exactly I don't want a Venom fighting a Venom like we had in Venom, and I don't want a vampire fighting a vampire in this Morbius. Is, this is what I'm worried about. Like, he yeah. gets the same powers, but he looks completely different and everything in the comic books. He d- Matt Smith looks like the wrong casting for how he looks in the comic books. Yeah. But I don't know I don't know if he's just working with the police, because I think he's a police officer as well. I don't know if he's working with wow. them to track him down. My That's expe- what I'm worried about. Well, my like, expectations for this film just dropped a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it seems really good until you bring the villain into it, which is the same problem that Venom had. It was really good until the villain. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, the next thing we had that we got graced with was the Black Widow special look. Loads of new footage. A bit mm. more about the story. We realised that Taskmaster, uh, or Mas- somebody... Taskmaster. Yeah, Taskmaster. Taskmaking mask. masks. Yeah. Or somebody has trained a new breed of Black Widows that seem like even more savage than the last. So she's 
trying to like reprimand herself for something, so she's teaming up with people that she used to know. But yeah. we get more of a look of Taskmaster. That's the main thing in this. Yeah, and David Harbour looks really good in this. Yeah, he does. Because we've not covered this at all on the podcast because the not trailer yet. came out quite a while ago before we started doing it. Yeah. But him as Red Guardian, Guardian, he looks ace. Is it Red Guardian? Pretty sure it's Red Guardian. Yeah, he looks ace. He looks really yeah. cool. And I like him. The costume looks really cool as well. It looks like the Russians took the old Captain America costume and made their own Mm, mm. Soviet. He's going to be the comic relief a bit of the film. Yeah. It? And then you get a much better look at Taskmaster in this. Yeah. Who at first I was a little bit. It was just. It looks better in motion, I think. Yeah, but it looks better now he's got the hood up and stuff as yeah. well. Because in the first trailer we got, you just saw a shot of him shooting a bow and arrow or whatever. Yeah, with the no back hood. of it. Yeah, and he just looked like he was wearing a biking helmet or something, and now. Or a paintball mask or something. But he looks a lot better in this that you see. And you see him copying Black Widow's fighting styles as well, which is. Taskmaster's ability, he can instantly analyze and replicate anybody's fighting style. Yeah, he's got the so shield. That, and yeah, so he's got the Captain America. So I'm thinking he's fought Cap because this is taking place in the five years between Infinity War and Endgame, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I'm guessing maybe he's fought Cap or maybe even before Infinity War, he fought Cap, mm. you know, when uh, he was going around as Nomad. Yeah. Although he didn't have the shield then, did he? So how could mm-hmm. he... Maybe it's part of when Steve Rogers goes back in time. Possibly. Wibbly-wobbly time he wants. Yeah, it could be part of that, maybe that timeline where he goes yeah. back and then fight. I don't know. That that all gets a little yeah. bit confusing. But it's cool. Like, you see, like, Taskmaster and Black Widow do, like, the same jump back up onto the feet. And I, I think they say in the trailer at one point, who is he? Like, trying to figure out who Taskmaster is. But the leading theory before that was that Taskmaster was going to be Rachel Vice. Rachel Vice. Yeah. She is she's playing another Black Widow in the film. Ah, uh, okay. So she's the one that sat around the table with Black Widow, my Red favorite, Guardian, Florence My favourite thing in a superhero film is a Black Widow fighting another Black Widow. <laughs> <laughs> it's trying to bring the villain from a back, from her backstory type thing. That's yeah. probably what they're going for. Like yeah. something that's going to bring emotional weight to it, not necessarily. So we've got vampires versus vampires. Black Widows versus Black Widows. If you're watching fighting, it doesn't actually seem like... No. It doesn't seem like a woman in the Taskmaster costume anymore. Yeah. Now that you see him fighting. Yeah. It's different enough. So what's the the next bit of news? Uh, My laptop's locked, so do you want to tell me what the next piece of news is? Yeah, it was the losing the Doctor Strange 2 director. Yeah, Scott Derrickson has announced that he's left due to, I think, creative differences. He always leaves due to creative differences. Which is yeah. quite relevant because we're going to talk about something else that to do with someone leaving due to creative differences. Yes. Um, but yeah, we've um, lost him. What was this? The multi multiverse was, of madness. Multiverse of madness. Featuring Scarlet Witch. And this was going to be a bit more of a horror film, wasn't it? The Not scariest the, Marvel movie. They said. Yeah. Um, but, I don't think it would have been that scary. I think it might have been creepy. Is this pre New Mutants or? I think it's not including New Mutants. Uh, I think New be... Mutants is still not in the MCU. Mm. Morbius could be spooky. Morbius could be spooky. He is a vampire. He is a vampire. It's very Halloween. Yeah, because people are thinking maybe in the Multiverse of Madness that like, maybe vampires might get unleashed or something, and that's how you, you get Blade, maybe. Yeah. When's Morbius what? due to be released? July 31st, 2020. Cool. So, Thanks. In... I'm happy you're the living, breathing IMDb. <laughs> Because I made the Instagram post for us this morning, <laughs> and I and no comic books. <laughs> yeah, 
That's um, one thing I do know. I didn't know about this casting. Ray Winston's in it, a uh, prolific Brit- British actor from all like the British stuff he was in, like the Spooks film and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and O.T. something or other, I can't remember his name, but he's playing Winston, I think. Ray Winston's a pretty good casting for it. I'm going to be intrigued to see what he's playing. Yeah, for sure. And then other bits. It came out the Colin Trevorrow's Star Wars Trevorrow or Trevorrow? Trevorrow. I've heard Trevorrow. people say it either way. We'll go with Trevorrow. Trevorrow. It sounds fancier. Trevor. Yeah, Trevorrow. sounds fancier, doesn't it? Also sounds like Trevago, the holiday search <laughs> website. Trevago. <laughs> Colin Trevago. So yeah, Colin Trevago script yeah. um, for episode nine, and it's kind of the, the full synopsis of the way yes. the film ran, has been put out. Credit to, I think it's Collider, and then also a YouTuber. The, what I plan on doing, I think we should do a full episode on this and just okay. break it down, yeah. because it is very much different to what we actually got in episode nine. Okay, Questionably, what we th- hoped we would get in episode nine. Okay. Uh, it follows on a lot more from what The Last Jedi was okay, and things okay. that were set up there. And it kind of feels like now I've read that, and I'm not going to talk about it now because I want us to, to do the full episode okay. on it. Do you know what? I'm not going to see any of it until we do that episode because yeah. I haven't seen any of it yet. Yeah. I'm going to do it where I read it out to you. We'll go through paragraph. Like we did with Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, we'll go okay. paragraph by paragraph. And then we'll just break it down. Okay. But even the opening crawl and stuff was probably what we were expecting going in. It okay. just feels like the episode nine that we got was a real U-turn in comparison yeah. to it. It seemed it did seem out of left field. We all said that. Yeah, but so still liked it. Yeah, you can head over to Collider to read that. Um, yeah, out. if you wanted to check it out. So for... Will that be a bonus episode? Uh, oh, should we just do it as a normal episode? Oh, we could Ooh. do. Could do. Ooh. There is a lot of stuff coming out though. Yeah. So we'll see anyway. It will go out. I think it'll be a short one, but we'll definitely do yes. something on that. Last bit of news. We all thought it was a, a joke that people were just making online, but no, it's apparently been confirmed now. Billy Eilish, everybody's favourite bad guy. You, you're saying it wrong. It's Billy Eilish. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you to say it like that. Okay. <laughs> Billy Eilish, everybody's favourite bad guy, is um, doing the. Uh intro the soundtrack to no time to die the next bond film i think it's uh, you know what people were joking about this but i actually think it's probably going to be a really good thing you know what some of her slower songs and stuff like that she really can sing Mm. she is good Mm. i just don't want like bad guy as the next like (laughs) i don't want any of that in my james bond score like it's always like it's always like a ballad isn't it to open it yeah, for sure. Even I the mean, Sam Smith one having the first, I think, male singer? Mm. Was, was that like, Skyfall he did it for? No, uh, Skyfall was Adele. Yeah, so what did which one did he do it for? He did Spectre. Did he do Spectre? Yeah, Spectre, he did the last one. Yeah, no, I was getting confused. But I mean, Let the thing, the thing with, was Adele. with the, th- the thing with Bond themes is it's not really very... Everyone, like, knows them and everyone yeah. rates them, but it's not something that you just listen to as part of a playlist, is it really... So, to be honest with you, if... Not anymore, I used to. Not, well, yeah, not, not <laughs> yeah. really anymore. So, even if Billie Eilish just does a really good job of it just purely for the film, yeah. and it's not something that you listen to, you know, outside probably of the film... probably hit number one and get nominated for an Oscar, probably for Best Original Song, but yeah. that's... I mean... The I Bond mean, songs always do. Yeah, for sure. I think musically it's usually pretty good, because it's her... Is it a brother and stuff that she's doing it with? Her uh, brother's been a producer throughout. 
Yeah, because he does all of her actual music, doesn't yeah. he? And it's this it's Phineas. That's it. It's Phineas from Ferb. <laughs> <laughs> if nobody's made that meme yet, get that's, on it. That's a collaboration. In yeah, the send it yeah. to at Get Real Pod on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So let's get on to main topic. So 1917, we went and watched this a few nights ago. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about it spoiler free. I mean, we all, it, it's a tough one. We're mainly going to avoid some of the topics of characters and their arcs and stuff. Yeah. And we're just going to briefly go over it and then we'll, we'll head into spoilers, but give a bit of a warning before we start talking about that. So yeah, um, 1917, a film about, you know what? What's your elevator pitch for 1917? My elevator pitch. I need to stay on brand with this because okay. this is the way we do it now. What's okay. your elevator pitch? So. Two Lance Corporals get sent out. They've got one day, well, not even one full day, one evening to get across France. Like 36 hours or something. Yeah, 36 uh, hours to get... Oh, no, because it's the following morning, isn't it, that they need to get there by? This is a terrible elevator pitch. I know. They've got 24 hours, let's say, because they leave in the morning and they arrive half, in the morning. I'm halfway up the building of the elevator. Okay, right. Let's start this over. Ground floor. Ding! Okay. <laughs> Two Lance Corporals get sent on errand mission... To send a message to call off a assault by the British forces, which is a trap from the Germans in the First World War. Yes. One of the brothers is in the battalion, so you get the heavy emotional weight that you need to make it there in time to save your brother and save 1,600 people. And the film is one big shot. And it's one continuous shot. Yes, that's a great elevator pitch. I want to know whose idea it was to make it one... I feel like it was Sam Mendes, because Sam Mendes did also co-write it. There was a little bit of a behind-the-scenes or special look at 1917 that I managed to catch before we watched it, and it was the cinematographer for the film. Uh, Roger Deacon. Oh, it might not have been the cinematographer. It was somebody else. Somebody else was talking through it, and the idea of it having being one big shot was, obviously, we know that the enemy of the film is the you know the German army. Yeah. However, the enemy of this story was time. And by having it as one big shot, it made you feel that the only person that they could be against was was time. Okay. For for the sake of what the mission was to get that letter to yeah. the forces. I anyway. did feel that, like yeah. it being one continuous shot, like really aligned you with the characters. It like really gave the whole story a sense of urgency because you weren't able to pull away from any scene. You weren't able to pull away from any single moment. Yeah. So you were really in it. You felt like you were in the trenches with them. And we joked around when we were waiting for it to come on about how we're going to be able to tell when the shots are actually done because realistically and practically this film isn't one shot. There's that many different sets and stuff and it's basically cleverly edited to make it look that way. Mm -hmm. But we were joking that the camera will pan behind someone's shoulder and it'll go black for a second and that's where there'll be a cut. Well, not so much black, but yeah, it'll go behind something. Yeah, And you don't really get a sense of that. There's there's a few moments. There's one really glaringly obvious one. Yeah, which passes time, yeah. though, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it does that to pass the time. Yeah. The other ones, you could tell when they were there if you were looking for them. Mm. But they, they did them sneakily, though. So it wasn't so much that it completely covered the screen, and that's what did it. They covered mostly the characters to hide a mask. Like, there's one point where they're flowing down a river, and it cuts almost behind a rock, but you can still see the top of the frame. So yeah. that's how you can tell it's two different shots mixed together. They just cut the actors out, essentially, behind a rock so that you could get the follow-up take, Yeah, which is pretty smart and stuff like that. Like 
it'll go behind like a, a beam and that's probably or when they transition from an inter- exterior to an interior and like it always goes quite dark before they go in doesn't it mm. because obviously like that's how the trenches were laid out you had screens to keep stuff in and out of the stuff and so no light escaped so people couldn't air radio and stuff yeah so like they passed through a curtain and the darkness of the curtain probably hid the cut mm. there was lots of parts of this film talking about like the camera movements where it would circle around the mm. the two the two guys when they're having a conversation on, on the journey that they're having where the camera would pan to show the emotion of the like the faces yeah. and the reactions and They'll stuff go from like that. following them to them walking towards camera but it's just so like smooth and it's like the camera doesn't really have any of those like really disjointed movement it's it's all really really the camera gone. is always moving as well mm. like it's very rare that the camera stays still even for a second like even mm. if it's just pushing in or tracking out or like you said spinning around yeah which really made you almost forget about the camera because yeah. you're seeing the entire world in like 360. Yeah, the bit that kind of I remember was of where it really kind of talks about that and does and puts that into into place is the bit where they come out of um, they come out of a trench, right? They come out of the trenches, and there's a there's a bit where they're walking through some fields into uh, a farmhouse. Yeah, um, and that bit there where there's a moment where been quite tense and then it's almost like the complete polar opposite where you've got the by the way the soundtrack in this film's ace really carry the emotion from like the tense bits to the um like the bit the bits where they they have a conversation right and they're talking about i think they're talking about other missions that they've been on and things before these two met Yeah, the battle of the somme one yeah, yeah words corporal schofield was was and they're talking about that and it almost feels like a part in when you're in like a video game or like a like a um, like an adventure game or something like that, and you're just like fast traveling, but you're not you're not choosing to fast travel. You're just choosing to walk that distance or yeah. do it in real time. And you just have characters where they just have conversations, and it develops a plot. Yeah, it felt like, I don't know. It was it, it, was, it did yeah. feel natural. Yeah, I I, really, I think they were some of my favorite parts of the film. Those, those moments. Yeah, the quiet where, moments where they were able to just talk. Yeah. Like like you said, when they were heading towards the farmhouse, you then get the walking through chopped down cherry blossoms. Yeah, and they just have And they're just having a yeah. conversation about different types of cherry blossoms because one of the families owned an orchard. Yeah, and that's what I mean. And it was, yeah. it was a nice little character development. Like, you start to find out more about them, obviously. Yeah, and it's clever how it does that. It could feel more forced, couldn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, the things like... If, if this was a film where it wasn't one shot and you had it cut into different bits, you would just have... Time would pass, they would be sitting down and they would have be having a conversation. Yeah. But because you're getting this as it goes through... They're travelling somewhere and you're seeing that happen in the film from going from point A to point B, it, it just feels really like just totally cohesive yeah yeah i really think cool. that often the the conversations are sparked by something in their environment something that they're going through at the time or mm. like the world around them so it feels more natural instead of because it could feel easily because it is one shot and you know you need to hit dialogue otherwise the film's just going to be silent yeah um it feel it feels organic the conversations and to to what you've just said there where the film could feel silent it does that purely down for tension. Yeah. 
it's and, powerful when it uses it. Yeah, and there's parts where there's no music, and it's it's just ridiculously tense. There's parts of this film where, um, you know, I was kind of like lo- looking away and wincing, and it's just so uncomfortable. Yeah, because you're you're bad with jump scares. Oh, I'm terrible so, with like, jump scares. You were expecting yeah. jump scares, like. And speaking of jump scares, there's a bit in this film where it will just fake out and then just. Oh, it is the worst. <laughs> it was the worst. And yeah. from that point where that jump scare happened in the first like 15, 20 minutes, I was just so tense throughout the rest yeah. of the film. Yeah. See, like, I was speaking to somebody in work and they were saying, well, I was saying to them and they perfectly agree with me. Even from like 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the film, you're on pins for these characters. Even though you know you've got another two hours of the film ahead of you, you're just absolutely on pins with them because they are able to build the tension and the long tracking shots are able to establish the dangers in the environment around them and everything like that. Mm. So you know there's always the potential for something to go horribly wrong. Mm. I was so curious about how this film would open. I was really curious of how you set up a film that is one shot. Yeah, the opening that. shot was what I was intrigued about. And that bit where they... It's only the opening, so it they're, they're both sat... The, the two characters are sat there, right? They've just yeah, woke they're up. asleep under... And then there's that shot where they walk from where they are near a tree and it's all a bit foresty. Yeah. And then they're walking through the camp and then into the trenches. And yeah, yeah. there's just hundreds of actors and stuff at the sides and behind and... It's yeah, it it really get a feel for that throughout yeah. the film, don't you? Yeah, like props to obviously the two lead actors. I've got the names here. We got Dean Charles Chapman, which is Lance Corporal Blake, whose brother is in the second battalion that they need to go mm-hmm. help. And then there's George McKay, which is Lance Corporal Schofield. I'll have a look in a bit what they've both been in previously because I recognise them both, mm. but they are relatively unknowns, and I think that does this film great. Yeah. Because you're not expecting anything from them, mm-hmm. and they're able to carry it so well. But you're also not distracted by them being big names. Like when there were big name actors in it, because a lot of the film is just these two on their own. Yeah. When the like big name actors were in it, it was almost a bit distracting. Like yeah, it does take you there's out. Mark a Strong, bit. there's Benedict, uh, Colin Cumberbatch, Firth, Benedict Cumberbatch, Richard Madden. Yeah, Richard uh, Richard Madden didn't pull me out as much. Hmm. He's not in it that much, and he's like, like I'm saying, he's not so iconic. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I can still lose him in a role. Whereas Colin Firth, whenever I see him, I think Colin Firth. I have the same effect with Tom Cruise. Like, you think of Tom Cruise, not the character that he's playing. So I'm just hitting his face on the microphone. <laughs> that's, what, that's what that noise was. My glasses hitting hitting the pop shield of the uh, microphone. Following on from that as well, props to all Roger Deakins as cinematographer, DOP. Sam Mendes, like, all the film crew, like, the camera operators, they had to go through as much of that as the actors did, like... Yeah, a lot of this was done on a on a crane, yeah, rather than being handheld cameras as yeah, well. Yeah, uh, the reason they did that as well, so they could... Um, circle. And, yeah, they could yeah. circle a motion track as well, so they record the camera movement, so once they've got that down, they can leave it and it'll automatically do it, so you get two cuts exactly the same, the framing's exactly the same. Mm. So then if you do obviously need to make a hidden cut somewhere, the camera's in the same position, so mm. it's it's a lot easier to do. And again, like going back to the actors and stuff, you can imagine how long some of these scenes must have been when they were shooting it. Yeah. And to stay in like character and make sure everything's all completely spot on throughout those points as well. Makes, wanna... you, makes you think about like how 
production wise these these work there's a lot of stuff online anyway about the yeah. production of the well film. one of the first things that came out for it they brought out a teaser trailer and then they released a teaser trailer along with a behind the scenes look at it so they were talking about the, obviously the fact that it was filmed in one shot like this was how they were announcing it and i think it was um uh, i think it was sam mendes that was talking about it they had to wait they had to make a decision how are they going to light the film because the films are obviously like all one shot in its big open environments, you can't have lights everywhere. Yeah, you're filming in the environment. Exactly, it's not a soundstage. Exactly, you yeah. can't have people with lights moving with you because then the light is not realistic and everything. So what they had to do was obviously they were filming in like France and Germany and stuff like this and like Europe to get these scenes and stuff. They had to wait because they were filming in summer as well. Mm. When does the film take place? It gives us a day at the beginning, is it? 1917. No, um, I mean, what time? <laughs> what part of the year? I think it's late spring, early summer. Yeah, it's so like, like April. It should be like quite... April 7th? Something like that. Is it? April. Yeah. It's definitely yeah, it April. It sounds about right, April yeah. 7th, so springtime. Like, you should get, like, breaks of sun in the clouds and stuff like that, but that would lead to uneven lighting, and obviously if you need to, like I said, do a hidden cut and stuff, mm. your lighting's going to change. You can't rely on the weather, so what they had to do is... They had to wait for it to become overcast and then do a take and do as much of a take as they could before the sun broke out again and disrupted the lighting. Mm, probably a lot of work going into the grading and stuff for this yeah. film, if we're talking technically as well. Well, the colour grading was really good. I was thinking when we were watching it, it's really realistic. Like, it's natural. Mm. It It's quite dingy, obviously, to give you the atmosphere. Well, it's it's dingy in, like, the no-man's land bits and yeah. the trench bits. and But then when you've got the breaks where the, they're in forests and the, the fields yeah. with the cherry blossom trees and stuff before, those bits feel like you're watching, like, the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring or something in the Shire. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's, like, quite... It's nice looking and yeah. you have these moments of alleviation where you don't feel like yeah. you're in the war it's, anymore. It's nothing too stylized is yeah, what it is it's yeah. quite naturalistic so that it flows to avoid all these issues the effort that went in to make this film is incredible in terms of the film and the the effort it went in to make it it was also done really tastefully with well i mean tastefully is probably the wrong word to use but in in terms of how it represents world war one it's it's not gratuitous in its violence yeah and also I'd, I'd say it, it's extremely probably quite accurate you hear about you know you see lots of really gross grotesque like bodies and stuff but they're not over the top there's not over the top blood and violence no and it doesn't hang on them too long either no but it also gives you this like horrifying image of what it was like for soldiers to be going through the trenches in no man's land and bits where you see in you know there's a there's a bit in a river where there's there's loads of bodies and stuff yeah. at the end of it that if you're not really paying attention or if you're looking at somewhere else on, on the screen, you miss that. And then all of a sudden you have that realisation with the character of what that is. Yeah. And yeah, it it, give, it really hammers home like, on, on that. That's straight from the beginning. As soon as like, so very early on in the film, like the first leg of their journey is getting over no man's land to get to... To get where they go, yeah, get where they're going. You need to get through the no man's land, which was the frontier that they built up when they were fighting the Germans. The Germans have retreated. Mm. So they need to go on this journey to get to the next rendezvous point, essentially. So they need to go through no man's land. And, like, if you're not looking, you'll miss a lot of, like, the hidden violence and gore and stuff like that. It's a quiet, somber scene, like it's no man's land. 
the camera will just pan over a mound of dirt or something. But if you're looking, like, there's parts of bodies sticking out and, like, like yeah. things that have been there for a while. So there's, like, decaying horses and bodies and stuff like that. And, like, it is horrific, but... But that also the, gives you an idea of how long the battles would go on yeah. for as well. Yeah. That it would just be literally this deadlock of two two sides that can't get over the, each other's side of the trenches. Yeah. And you just see all this this time and stuff in between of like like you said, like half rotten corpses and you know, carcasses yeah. and stuff like that. It's not all like fresh stuff. It's been going on for ages. So And it it is horrific, but it it doesn't glorify it in any way. No, you don't see it happening. You just see the aftermath. Exactly, and, what, what, and I think yeah. that makes it more horrific is like the fact that it's just sort of left there mm. and the fact that they're not drawing attention to it like puts you in the place of like they're seeing all these things. They understand the real threat that like clearly happened around them and stuff, but they just need to carry on. Like You can't stop to linger on anything like that with the camera. You just carry on as well. Yeah, so we could probably jump on to the more spoilery bits and talk about some of the things that actually happen in the film now, um, just to cover it off. Yeah. Um. So at this point now, if you don't want to, if you've not watched the film or anything like that, you could probably just skip to the end, or if you have watched it, stick you know stick around and listen now. So at this point, we're talking spoilers. So if you're going dark on the film, stop, stop listening now. Spoilers. So the big twist happens really well. There's a big twist that happens really early on in this film, where Lance Corporal Blake gets um, stabbed by that fighter pilot. Yeah, I think that's like the halfway point of the film. Yeah, but it feels really early on for you yeah. know, and it's right after a bit where you think that Schofield's gonna be get outed yeah, because so, of the bomb going off in the the German trenches and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so before that, like Schofield's injured twice and then nearly gets hit by a plane. So you it, like in the back of your head, like it's setting up that you think this is the guy that's in danger, and the other guy, uh, Blake, seems to just be getting away with everything. Like it's Blake's mission, and he's dragged Schofield along reluctantly, and Schofield's like nearly dying multiple times. Yeah, and then sticks his hand in that corpse after he cuts uh, it open. Uh, <laughs> that was like the worst part of the film for me. Like, like we said, like there's all this gore and stuff like that, and like there are half rotting bodies and stuff. So a plane goes over, so they jump into a trench to sort of hide from it. Schofield's just cut his hand open on barbed wire, and it's still an open wound. And Blake nudges him, and his hand goes into like this open wound cavity on this rotting corpse. And you, everybody you in over the cinema, to me. you lean over to me and say, "That's going to need a tetanus shot." <laughs> Instant tetanus. I thought that's how the film was going to go. Like throughout the film, like his hand was going to get more infected yeah. or something. And that'd probably be like a. a you know, it reflects on some of the horror of World War One, but like, it doesn't go like the way trench foot and tetanus yeah. and everything like that. Yeah. Like the diseases killed nearly as many people as the weapons did, probably. Yeah, for sure. And the bit where you have that <clears throat> really long scene where you see um, Blake, he, you know, he goes pale and stuff like that, and obviously dies and stuff. But it's, it was so well done. It's really, really sad. That's something else. Like. Like because obviously the shooting on location is all long shots and stuff like that, and everything needs to be planned for the camera to hit the mark, for the crew to hit the mark, for the cast to hit the mark. Like that, you could feel how well rehearsed that was because it go like it's one shot. There's no edits in like from like the moment that like you turn around and it's revealed that he's been stabbed. So just to say up. A plane crashes. There's a dogfight, 
and the German plane goes down but nearly crashes into the barn that they're both stood in. So they manage to just get out of it and then they try to save this German fellow's life. But then he ends up... But it, it, he turns away and you don't see what happens. You're following Schofield getting water and you just see this dirty, disgusting, coloured water as like they're trying to save this fella's life and then you just hear them all kicking off, don't you? Yeah. You turn around and he's been stabbed through the gut. Yeah. And that's sad. That's That, that bit... And I think because the film does all that just before, we've got the the human building of yeah. them with the stories and stuff, and he's talking about the orchard at home. You and, literally just found out a lot yeah. more about his family. Yeah. And then right after that, you get Mark Strong turn up with a big army. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, God's sake, you know, if you just turned up a little bit earlier. But, yeah. Well, that's the thing. They saw the plane go down, and that's what yeah. drew them to it, but they just weren't quick enough. And you get that some of Schofield's frustration with that as well which is you know well Schofield even said he was like leave him like at the end of the day he's the enemy just leave him like it's going to be horrible that we need to stand here and hear this fella burn to death Mm. but leave him and then when they pull him out he's like put him out of his misery Mm. and Blake wants to see the humanity like Schofield's definitely more jaded like we said he's been at the Battle of the Somme which went on from like July to November like it was a long fought battle and he got a medal for it. Like, mm. he's seen more horrors than Blake, and they refer to that a lot. Mm. So Blake's still got this idealistic, like, we need to see the humanity and save as many people as we need to harm. Yeah. But that's his ultimate downfall, is he tries to help a guy and gets stabbed and killed for it. Yeah, and that's what makes that whole bit more tragic, doesn't yeah. it? So, And then, as you start to get on, you've got the the bit where there's that one big jump in time, and um, where he get he falls back down the stairs. Yeah, so he gets and then, like shot at, doesn't he? Yeah, and then but that contrast then from that scene to um, when we get it's all just orange. And in the trailer, it's the bit where you get the city ruins and it's all like orange and red, and there's that really extreme lighting situation going on. And that bit where that German soldier is running towards him, where he sees the church is on fire, mm-hmm. and he almost doesn't react, and then he realizes that he's running towards him to to try and kill him. Yeah, it's almost like he he forgets that he's kind of in a war because he's by himself and stuff. It's... I I was trying to figure out if he was he was trying to figure out whether he was German or British. Yeah, yeah, or German or Alliance. Type, yeah, like, yeah. Um, but then, like, he does end up chasing after him and because they're just sort of frantic at that point and they're just shooting wildly, aren't they? Yeah, I love that because almost like a bit like a horror film where he's running away from, like, a like a, like a, a, a an axe murderer yeah. or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like, because then, like, the Germans at that point, they know he's in the city, don't they? Yeah. Becomes, like, they're stalking him a bit and it, like you said, that is full of tension, that scene. Like, it's dark, it's dingy. This fella doesn't know where he's going. He's, he knows that there's Germans there out hunting for him. Yeah. And at this point, he's lost his weapon. Cause it's, yeah, he, he, yeah, he lost his weapon by this point. And it's clever how they pass time where, he, where you have that kind of, again, these moments of where it alleviates the film and you get a bit of character building where he finds that um, girl and that kid. And then it passes time again. Mm. And then he comes out and it's like coming towards daytime. And yeah, it it's Ace, and I think that scene's great where he is with the woman. So he's hiding from the Germans. He hides in a basement, doesn't he? he? Goes through like a basement window, and then he sees a fire on. So he goes in, and like 
your tension is so high at this point because you still think that he's being hunted. And then you see a figure behind him, but it turns out to be a, a French woman who's hiding out and she's been protecting a baby as well. So you get him, he knows a bit of French, so he's able to communicate and stuff like that. And you see like this woman, you don't know how long she's been there. You don't know how long she's going to be there, but she's got like a little baby as well. And she's just trying to keep the two of them safe. And then she finds this guy that she knows can protect them. And he's bleeding from his head as well. But he has to leave him. Like, you hear the church bells going at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And he knows he's yeah. only got three hours to get to the battalion. Mm. And then you've got that bit then where that that happens and he gets there and then he gets to the battalion and there's all this tension of them. They're there, they're ready to go over the wall. And then you, you meet Benedict Cumberbatch's character who almost doesn't believe him at the start and that's set up right at the beginning where he's like make sure there's witnesses yeah because i think he's war hungry at that point yeah because he sure. says he's like we've got him on the back foot like we can end this war here yeah and that and you see a little bit of how everyone would have you know we can only imagine how people would have felt where you've got people that just want to push forward and get the war done you've got people who give up um who just completely give up who you've got the Moriarty character right at the beginning who uh, from the Sherlock TV Ad, series. Um, not Adam Scott. Um, yeah. Andrew Scott. Yeah, gives him the flair and stuff. You've got that. Uh, you've got the generals. You've got all the other people that you see throughout. You know, you, you get a little bit of everything. And then, obviously, right at the end, you get um, Richard Madden, who is playing Blake's brother. Yeah. And, yeah, so, again, really so heartbreaking. He, he, yeah. He's late when he gets there, and the first wave's already gone. Yeah. And just but then as, you see in that desperation, and he's like run, and that's the bit that you see in the trailers where he that scene where he jumps up onto the above the above the trenches and then runs along as they're all yes, running, yeah. Yes. And that's all completely practical. That that's yeah. all you know. That scene has got hundreds of hundreds of actors in the background, hundreds that are of all, actors, explosions, and everything. Like yeah. everything was so well timed. It's all practical, everything. I think. Yeah. The whole thing's all practical. Um, there's uh, there's a couple of key scenes I want to touch between. Obviously, those points. There's like we said, he gets washed down a river and then he has to crawl on bodies to get out and then he hears the singing in the distance. That's another real nice, quiet moment where he's found the 2nd Battalion. But you don't realise he's found found the 2nd Battalion. Yeah. Like, I kind of assumed at that point, but he didn't realise. Mm. So he's like, he's been battered, he's been shot at, like at the back of his head's bleeding, he's just been washed down a river and everything. And he's like shell shocked in that moment, and he hears the singing, and he just staggers up to him, and like it's haunting. It's the song that's been in some of the trailers where he's like uh, going home to see his brother yeah. and stuff, which is really like yeah. the key theme of the film. Is like Blake was trying to save his brother, he was trying to make sure that his mum didn't end up with no sons coming home from war. You you don't know what Schofield's family life is like because you've been asked about it, but you heard that after the Battle of Somme, he went home to see his family and then like the hardest part for him was having to go back to war mm. you could see on the face that like they thought he probably wasn't going to come back this time mm. and he said sometimes not coming back at all is easier because you don't need to leave them again while this singing's going on it pans through the battalion doesn't it you see all these fucking young lads like yeah they are so young at that point like i was like at my emotional peak for this film and like i had like a tear in my eye for like the rest of the film then like so you see all these guys and they just like get up and like they're about to essentially march to the death essentially getting ready to go over and then he's running through the trenches he can't fit through so he gets up and he starts running as they all start charging 
and like he's running to try and save all these lives but they're just charging to the death it was heavy that like and the score builds and everything like the the scores go in with like a ticking pace isn't it because like because who's the enemy of the film is time exactly like you said and like it really like you really notice it at the end like it feels like it's pulsing it's ticking as he's trying to get to benedict cumberbatch's character Mm -hmm. to stop this march he's trying to save like thousands of lives he has to run across the top like we said amazing shot after that they call him all back and that's when he goes he goes through the medical camp as well and that's like the only time like you see like a lot of live gore essentially like yeah you see people have been wounded from the explosions and stuff like that and like that is the emotional peak of the film right at the end like it just hits you with everything doesn't yeah it? and then you've got his brother's reaction and all that and then the bit so where he sits well by the end of the tree and stuff so it finishes it finishes on a very like sad note but a somber note at the end as well so. yeah so he the final yeah. shot i think was beautiful yeah for yeah, sure he sits back down at a tree as we found him at the beginning you find out he's got a wife and daughter yeah oh uh, yeah he's it probably does, gonna get home yeah to it see. does that's full circle yeah it does full circle i didn't realize that yeah it does yeah because he, he that's how it starts isn't yeah, it yeah he, he was tree. he was yeah. sleeping under a tree and he goes and sits back under a tree so yeah uh, time is also the enemy of this episode as we've kind of ran out a little talking bit about full so. circle sam yeah talking about <laughs> full circle so do you want to Yes, uh, final rating for the film, I would give it probably a 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. Fantastic. Every film we've gave so far has been an 8 or a 9 out of 10. It, it was 7 or 8. This one is like the best one we've talked about so far, I think. Better yeah. than Jojo Rabbit, I think. Yeah, better than Jojo Rabbit, better than Season 1 of The Witcher or The Mandalorian, yeah, yeah. and better than The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, easily better than all of them. Okay, fair I, enough. I love this film. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say it's definitely up there. I think when we did the Golden Globes episode last week, I can now really appreciate why it won a lot of yeah, them. Yeah, it won Best Picture yeah, drama, didn't it? I can definitely appreciate that. Yeah, fantastic. So. so, yeah, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at GetRealPod. And our email address is GetRealPodUK at gmail.com. Yes. <laughs> Stumbled over that then. Send us your ideas for other films to cover, what you thought of 1917. Uh, stay tuned to the Instagram to find out when everything's going live. And that is R-E-E-L get real r-e-e-l and be sure to leave us a rating and review on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher wherever you can listen to us everywhere is now working fine i've been hard at work making sure that excellent all of our podcast listening sites are working okay and all up to date so leaving a review really helps us get there on the charts helps more people find us and listen to these episodes and then a final thank you to madeby.mj on instagram for our new branding which makes us look a lot more professional than we actually are it looks so much better than the awful stuff i did (laughs) it got a professional on it it did the job so yeah That's pretty much everything. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.